Chapter 8 of With Frederick the Great, A Story of the Seven Years' War by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Prague. The next morning, Fergus rode over to see Count Eulenfurst, found him quite restored to health. Fergus was received by the Count, the Countess, and Thurza with great pleasure. My return in safety is in no small degree due to you, Count. Had it not been for the letter to Count Platum, with which the Countess furnished me, I doubt whether I should have been able to get through, or at any rate, if I had done so, it could only have been with many hardships and dangers and certainly great delay. I have no doubt that the help you received from the Count was of considerable assistance to you, and lessened your difficulties much captain drummond but i am sure you would have managed without it had you formed any plans as to what you would have done had you found him absent i had thought of several things count but i had settled on nothing i should have remained but a day in vienna and should have exchanged the suit i had got from the innkeeper for some other my idea was that i had best join one of the convoys of provisions going up to bohemia I calculated that I should have no difficulty in obtaining a place as a driver, for of course the service was not popular, and any of the men would have been glad enough for me to take his place. I might thus have got forward as far as Prague. After that I must have taken my chance, and I thought I could, in the same sort of way, have got as far as Leitmaris but there i might have been detained for a long time until there was an opportunity of crossing the defiles it would have been difficult indeed for me to have earned my living there and what was left of the money i had after paying for the landlord's suit would scarcely have lasted with the closest pinching till spring you would have managed it somehow i am sure thursa said confidently after getting out of that strong fortress it would be nothing to get out of bohemia into saxony we have not congratulated you yet the countess said upon your last promotion lieutenant lindsay came over to tell us about it and how you had gained it of course we were greatly pleased although grieved to hear that you had been made a prisoner we wondered whether at the time you were captured you had any of the letters i had written with you and whether they would come in useful it did not even occur to me that you would have called upon clout platern my cousin i thought that you might be detained at prague but vienna is the last place where we should have pictured you had we known that you had been sent to spielberg i think we should have given up all hope of seeing you again until you were exchanged for I have heard that it is one of the strongest of Austrian fortresses. I do hope, Captain Drummond, that we shall see a great deal of you this winter. There will not be many gaieties, though no doubt there will be some state balls. But there will be many little gatherings, as usual, among ourselves, and we shall count upon you to attend them always, unless you are detained on service. We learn that it is probable your king will pass the whole of the winter here. We will send your horse down to you today, the Count said. You will find him in good condition. He has been regularly exercised. 
thank you very much count i wrote to you before i started but i have had no opportunity of thanking you personally for those splendid animals sorry as i was to lose the horse i rode at lobositz i congratulated myself that i was not riding one of yours i should have had no difficulty in replacing him captain drummond the count said with a smile the least we can do is to keep you in horse-flesh while the war lasts which i hope will not be very long for surely your king can never hope to make head against the forces that will assail him in the spring but will be glad to make peace on any terms no doubt he would be glad to count but as his enemies propose to divide his dominions among them it is not very clear what terms he could make but though i would grant that on paper the odds against him is enormous i think that you will see there will be some hard fighting yet before prussia is partitioned perhaps so the count replied but surely the end must be the same you know i have been a strong opponent of the course taken by the court here saxony and prussia as protestant countries should be natural allies and i consider it is infamous that the court or rather brule who is all-powerful should have joined in a coalition against frederick who had given us no cause of complaint whatever my sympathies then are wholly with him but i can see no hope whatever of his successfully resisting this tremendous combination various things might happen count the empresses of russia or austria or the pompadour might die or the allies might quarrel between themselves england may find some capable statesman who will once again get an army together and joined perhaps by the netherlands give france so much to do that she will not be able to give much help to her allies yes all these things might happen but frederick's first campaign has been to a great extent a failure it is true that he has established saxony as his base but the saxon troops would be of no advantage to him he would have acted much more wisely had he on their surrender allowed them to disband and go to their homes many then might have enlisted voluntarily the country would not have had a legitimate grievance and the common religious tie would soon have turned the scale in favor of prussia who as all see has been driven to this invasion by our court's intrigues with austria had he done this he could have marched straight to prague have overrun all bohemia established his headquarters there and menaced vienna itself in the spring looking at it coolly that might have been the best way count but a man who finds that three or four of his neighbors have entered into a plot to attack his house and seize all his goods may be pardoned if he does not at first go the very wisest way to work the count laughed i hope that the next campaign will turn out differently but i own that i can scarcely see a possibility of prussia alone making head against the dangers that surround her the winter passed quietly there were fetes state balls and many private entertainments for while all europe was indignant or pretended to be so at the occupation of saxony the people of that country were by no means so angry on their own account they were no more heavily taxed by frederick than they were by their own court and now that the published treaty between the confederates had made it evident that the country 
without its own consent had been deeply engaged in a conspiracy hostile to prussia none could deny that frederick was amply justified in the steps he had taken at these parties only prussian officers who were personal friends of the host were invited but fergus who had been introduced by count eulenfurst to all his acquaintances was always asked and was requested to bring with him a few of his personal friends lindsay therefore was generally his companion and was indeed in a short time invited for his own sake for the scottish officers were regarded in a different light to the prussians and their pleasant manners and frank gaiety made them general favourites their duties as aide-de-camps was now light indeed although both were two or three times sent with dispatches to berlin and even to more distant parts of prussia where preparations for the coming campaign were being made on a great scale the whole prussian population was united it was a war not for conquest but for existence and all classes responded carefully cheerfully to the royal demands these were confined to orders for drafts of men for no new tax of any kind was laid on the people the expenses of the war being met entirely from the from the treasure that had since the termination of the silesian war being steadily accumulated a fixed sum being laid by every year to meet any emergency that might arise towards spring both parties were ready to take the field the allies had four hundred and thirty thousand men ready for service frederick had a hundred and fifty thousand well-trained soldiers while forty thousand newly raised troops were posted in fortresses at points most open to invasion the odds were indeed sufficient to appall even the steadfast heart of frederick of prussia but no one would have judged from the calm and tranquil manner in which the king made his arrangements to meet the storm that he had any doubt as to the issue man for man the prussian soldier of the time was the finest in the world he was splendidly drilled absolutely obedient to orders and filled with implicit confidence in his king and his comrades he had been taught to march with extraordinary rapidity and at the same time to maneuver with the regularity and perfection of a machine and could be trusted in all emergencies to do everything that man was capable of the french army a hundred and ten thousand strong was the first to move another thirty thousand men were preparing to march to join the army that had been got up by that mixed body the german federation the main force was to move through hanover to oppose them was a mixed army maintained by british money comprising hanoverians brunswickers and hessians some fifty thousand strong commanded by the duke of cumberland with these were some five thousand prussians who had by frederick's orders evacuated the frontier fortresses and joined what was called the british army of observation frederick prepared for the present to deal with the austrians intending if successful against them to send off twenty five thousand men to strengthen cumberland's army the proposed swedish invasion was altogether disregarded but thirty thousand men principally militia were posted to check the russian invasion 
So quiet had been the preparations that none of their enemies dreamt that the Prussians could assume the offensive, but considered that they would confine their efforts to defending the defiles into Saxony and Silesia. But this was not Frederick's idea. As spring approached, he had been busy redistributing his troops from their winter cantonment and preparing three armies for the invasion of Bohemia. April had been a busy month for the staff, and the aides de camp had passed their days and even their nights on horseback. At last, all was in readiness for the delivery of the stroke, and on the 20th, the king started from Lockwich, facing the old Saxon camp of Perna. The Duke of Bevern from Louisitz and Marshal Schwerin from Silesian, and without the slightest warning, the three gate columns poured down into Bohemia. The movement took the Austrians absolutely by surprise, not dreaming of such a step on Frederick's part. They had prepared near the frontier vast magazines for the supply of their advancing army. These had to be abandoned in the greatest haste, and a sufficient amount of food to supply the entire army for three months fell into the hands of the Prussians. Marshal Brown and General Konigsek, who commanded the Austrian armies in Bohemia, fell back to Prague with the greatest speed that they could make. The light irregular corps that Frederick had raised during the winter and placed under experienced and energetic officers pervaded the whole country, capturing magazines and towns, putting some to ransom, dispersing small bodies of the enemy, and spreading terror far and wide. Brown succeeded in reaching Prague before the king can come up to see him. Bervern, however, overtook Konigsek and greatly hastened his retreat, killing a thousand men and taking five hundred prisoners, after which Konigsek reached Prague without further molestation, the Duke of Bervern joining Sherwin's column. The Austrians retired through Prague and encamped on high ground on the south side of the city, Prince Karl being now in command of the whole. Had this prince be possessed of military talents, or listened to Marshal Brown's advice, instead of taking up a defensive position, he would have marched with his whole army against the king, whose force he would very greatly have outnumbered. But instead of doing so, he remained inactive. On the 2nd of May, Twelve days after moving from Saxony, Frederick arrived within sight of Prague. So closely had he followed the retreating Austrians that he occupied that evening a monastery at which Prince Karl and Marshal Brown had slept the night before. Thirty thousand men, who were now under the command of Marshal Keith, were left to watch Prague and its garrison, while Frederick, on Tuesday, searched for a spot where he could cross the river and effect a junction with Sherwin. He knew his position and had arranged that three cannon shots were to be the signal that the river had been crossed. A platoon bridge was rapidly thrown over. The signal was given and the Prussians poured across it and before the hole were over, Sherwin's light cavalry came up and an arrangement was made that the two forces should meet at six o'clock next morning at a spot within two miles of the austrian camp on the liska hills
Battle of Prague. At this time, the Austrians showed inactive and permitted the Prussian columns to join hands without the slightest attempt to interfere with them. Had Brown been in command, very different steps would have been taken. But Prince Karl was indolent, self-confident, and opinionated, and had set his army to work to strengthen its position in every possible manner. This was naturally extremely strong, its right flank being covered by swampy ground formed by a chain of ponds, from which the water was let off in the winter and the ground sown with oats. These were now a brilliant green, and to the eyes of Frederick and his generals surveying them from the distance he had the aspect of ordinary metal. The whole ground was commanded by redoubts and batteries on the hill, which rose precipitously seven or eight hundred feet beyond the position in the batteries were sixty heavy cannon, while there were in addition one hundred and fifty field guns. Well might Prince Karl think his position altogether unassailable, and believe that. If the Prussians were mad enough to attack, they would be destroyed. Frederick and Schwerwin spent much time in surveying the position and agreed that on two sides the Austrian position was absolutely impregnable, but that on the right flank attack was possible. Schwerwin would fain have waited until the next morning, since his troops were fatigued by their long marches and had been on foot since midnight. The Austrians, however, were expecting a reinforcement of 30,000 men under dawn to join them hourly, and the king therefore decided on an attack. The terrible obstacles presented by the swamps being altogether unnoticed. With incredible speed, the Prussians moved away to their left, and by 11 o'clock were in readiness to attack the right flank of the Austrian position. Brown, however, was in command here, and as soon as the intention of the Prussians was perceived, he swung back the right wing of the army at right angles to its original position so that he presented a front to the Prussian attack, massing thickly at Sturbold, a village at the edge of the swamps. Rapidly, the whole of the artillery and cavalry were formed up on this face, and quick as had been the advance of the Russians, the Austrians were perfectly ready to meet them. Led by General Winterfield, the Prussians rushed forward, but as they advanced, a terrific artillery fire was opened upon them. Winterfeld was wounded severely, and the troops fell back. The main body now advanced under Schwerwin, and the whole again pressed forward. In spite of the incessant rain of grape and case shot, the Prussians advanced until they reached the pleasant green meadows they had seen in the distance. Then the real nature of the ground was at once disclosed. The troops sunk to the knees, and in many cases to the waist. In the treacherous mud, soldiers less valiant and less disciplined would have shrunk, appalled at the obstacle. But the Prussians struggled on, dragging themselves forward with the greatest difficulty through mud, through slush, through a rain of grape from upwards of 200 cannon, and through a storm of musketry fire from the infantry. Regiment after regiment, as it reached the edge of the dismal swamp, plunged in unhesitatingly, 
crawling and struggling onward never in the annals of warfare was there a more terrible fight for three hours it continued without a moment's interval thousands of the assailants had fallen and their bodies had been trodden deep into the swamp as their comrades pressed after them sometimes a regiment struggled back out of the mire thinking it beyond mortal power to win victory under such terms but the next moment they reformed and flung themselves into the fight again schwerin seeing the regiment named after him recoil placed himself at their head and shouting follow me my sons led them till he fell dead struck by five grape shots the austrians fought as stoutly marshal brown leading them till a cannonball took off his foot and he was carried into prague to die there six weeks later while this terrible struggle was going on the prussian cavalry had made a very wide circuit around the ponds and lakelets and charged the austrian horse on brown's extreme right the first lines were broken by it but so many and strong were they that the prussians were brought to a standstill then they drew back and charged the second and a third time the austrians gave way prince call himself brave if incapable did his best to rally them but in vain and at last they fled in a headlong rout pursued for many miles by zithen's horsemen still the infantry struggle was maintained at last the prussian right wing hitherto not engaged though suffering from the artillery fire on the heights had their turn general manstein discovered that at the angle where brown threw back the right wing of the army to face the prussians there was a gap the troops there had gradually pressed more to their right to take part in the tremendous conflict and the elbow was therefore defended only by a half-moon battery through the fish tanks he led the way followed by princes henry and ferdinand the whole division struggled through the mud drove back the austrians hastily brought up to oppose them captured the battery and poured into the gap thereby cutting the austrian army in two and taking both halves in flank this was the deciding point of the battle the austrians right already holding its own with difficulty was crumpled up and forced to fall back hastily the other half of the army isolated by the eruption threw itself back and endeavored to make a fresh stand at spots defended by batteries and stockades but all was in vain the prussians pressed forward exultingly the fresh troops leading the way in spite of the confusion occasioned by the loss of their commanders and of the surprise caused by the sudden break-up of their line by the inrush of manstein and the princes the austrians fought stoutly four times they made a stand but the prussians were not to be denied the austrian guns that had been captured were turned against them and at last giving way they fled for Prague, where some forty thousand of them rushed for shelter while fifteen thousand fled up the valley of the Moldau. had it not been that an accident upset frederick's calculations the greater portion of the austrians would have been obliged to lay down their arms prince maurice of dessau had been ordered to move with the right wing of keith's army 
fifteen thousand strong to take up a position in the austrian rear this position he should have reached hours before but in his passage down a narrow lane some of the pontoons for bridging the river were injured when the bridge was put together it proved too short to reach the opposite bank the cavalry in vain endeavoured to swim the river the stream was too strong and frederick's masterly combination broke down and the bulk of the austrians instead of being forced to surrender were simply shut up in prague with its garrison the battle of prague was one of the fiercest ever fought the austrian army had improved wonderfully since the silesian war their artillery was especially good their infantry had adopted many of the prussian improvements and had brown been in sole command and had he escaped unwounded the issue of the day might have been changed the prussians lost twelve thousand five hundred men killed and wounded the austrians including prisoners thirteen thousand three hundred frederick himself put the losses higher estimating that of the austrians at twenty four thousand of whom five thousand were prisoners that of the prussians at eighteen thousand without counting marshal schwerwin who alone was worth about ten thousand it is evident that the king's estimate of the loss of the austrians must have been excessive they had the advantage of standing on the defensive the prussian guns did but comparatively little service while their own strong batteries played with tremendous effect upon the prussians struggling waist deep in the mud there can therefore be little doubt that the latter must have suffered in killed and wounded a much heavier loss than the austrians impassive as he was and accustomed to show his feelings but little frederick was deeply affected at the loss of his trusted general and of the splendid soldiers who had been so long and carefully trained and even had prague fallen the victory would have been a disastrous one for them for threatened as he was by overwhelming forces the loss of five thousand men to him was quite as serious as that of twenty thousand men to the confederates in keith's army there had been considerable disappointment when it became known that they were to remain impassive spectators of the struggle and that while their comrades were fighting they had simply to blockade the northern side of the city you will have plenty of opportunities the marshal said quietly to his aide-de-camps on seeing their downcast looks this war is but beginning it will be our turn next for it is a great task the king has set himself in attempting to carry the strong position that the austrians have taken up and he will not do it without very heavy loss to-morrow you may have reason to congratulate yourself that we have had no share in the business nevertheless as the day went on and the tremendous roar of battle rolled down upon them terrible continuous and never ceasing for three hours even keith walked in a state of feverish anxiety backwards and forwards in front of his tents while the troops stood in groups talking in low turns and trying to pierce with their eyes the dun-coloured cloud of smoke that hung over the combatants on the other side of prague when at last the din of battle went rolling down towards that city 
the feeling of joy was intense in many the relief from the tension and the long excitement was so great that they burst into tears some shook hands with each other others threw their caps into the air and then a few voices burst into the well-known verse of the church hymn non danket ali gott mit herzon mund und hasendad of which our english translation runs now thank we all our god with hands and hearts and voices and in a moment it was taken up by thirty thousand deep voices in a solemn chorus the regimental bands at once joining in the jubilant thanksgiving pious men were these honest protestant hard-fighting soldiers and very frequently on their long marches they beguiled the way by the stirring hymns of the church keith and those around him stood bareheaded as the hymn was sung and not a word was spoken from some time after the strains had subsided that is good to listen to keith said breaking the silence we have often heard the psalm singing of cromwell's ironside spoken of with something like contempt but we can understand now how men who sing like that with all their hearts should be almost invincible it is the grandest thing that i have ever heard marshal fergus said of course i have heard them when they were marching but it did not sound like this no fergus it was the appropriateness of the occasion and perhaps the depth of the feelings of the men and our own sense of immense relief that made it so striking listen there is a fresh outburst of firing the austrians have fallen back but they are fighting stoutly the chief effect of this great battle was of a moral rather than a material kind prague was not a strong place but with a garrison of fifty thousand men it was too well defended to assault and until it was taken frederick could not march on as he had intended and leave so great a force in the rear the moral effect was however enormous the allies had deemed that they had a ridiculously easy task before them and that frederick would have to retreat before their advancing armies and must at last see that there was nothing but surrender before him that he should have emerged from behind the shelter of the saxon hills and have shattered the most formidable army of those that threatened him on ground of their own choosing entrenched and fortified caused a feeling of consternation and dismay the french army the russians and the united force of the french with the german confederacy were all arrested on their march and a month elapsed before they were again set in motion marshal dwan who had arrived at erdweiss fell back at once when the news reached him and taking post at the entrance of the defile he made the greatest effort to increase his army reinforcements were sent to him from vienna and all the adjacent country the duke of Veverin was posted with twenty thousand men to watch him and frederick sat down with all his forces to capture prague the siege train was hurried up from dresden and on the ninth of may his batteries on the south side of the city and those of keith on the north opened fire on the city for a month missiles were poured into the town 
magazines were blown up and terrible destruction done but the garrison held out firmly at times they made sorties but these were always driven in again with much loss but fifty thousand men behind fortifications however weak were not to be attacked every approach to the city was closely guarded but it became at last evident that as long as the provisions held out prague was not to be taken the cannonade became less incessant and after a month almost died away for dawn had by this time gathered a large army and it was evident that another great battle would have to be fought if this was won by the prussians prague would be forced to surrender if not the city was saved it was not until the twelfth of june that dawn a cautious and careful general in accordance with urgent orders from vienna prepared to advance his force had now grown to sixty thousand forty thousand of the garrison of prague could be spared to issue out to help him frederick had under seventy thousand and of these a great portion must be reigned to guard their siege works thus then all the advantages lay with the relieving army several officers in disguise were dispatched by dawn to carry into prague the news of his advance and to warn prince karl to sally out with the whole of his force and fall upon the prussians as soon as he attacked them in the rear so vigilant however were the besiegers that none of these messages succeeded in entering prague on the thirteenth frederick set out with ten thousand men to be followed by four thousand more under prince maurice two days later these being all that could be spared from the siege works to join beveren who had fallen back as dawn advanced the junction effected frederick joined beveren and approached dawn who was posted in a strong position near colin thirty-five miles from prague on the seventeenth prince maurice arrived and after several changes of position the armies faced each other on the eighteenth within a short distance of colin dawn's new position was also a strong one and was in fact only to be assailed on its right and the prussian army was moved in that direction their order being to pay no attention to the austrian batteries or musketry fire but to march steadily to the spot indicated this was done zeithen dashed with his hussars upon the austrian cavalry drawn up to bar the way defeated them and drove them far from the field while holson's division of infantry carried the village of Prisa on the austrian flank in spite of the austrian batteries so far frederick's combination had worked admirably holson then attacked a wood behind it strongly held by the austrians here a struggle commenced which lasted the whole day the wood being several times taken and lost he was not supported owing to a mistake that entirely upset frederick's plan of battle while three miles away from the point where the attack was to be delivered manstein whose quickness of inspiration had largely contributed to the victory of prague now ruined redrick's plan by his impetuosity the cornfields through which his division was marching towards the assault of the austrian left 
was full of croats who kept up so galling a fire that losing all patience he turned and attacked them the regiment to which he gave the order cleared the croats off but these returned strongly reinforced the regiment coming behind supposing that french orders had arrived also turned off and in a short time the whole division whose support was so sorely needed by holson was assaulting the almost impregnable austrian position in front another mistake this time arising from a misconception of a too brief and positive order given by frederick himself led prince maurice who commanded the prussian center to hurl himself in like manner against the austrians for four hours the battle raged in spite of their disadvantages the prussians fought so desperately that dawn believed the day to be lost and sent orders to the troops to retreat to such dot but the commander of the saxon cavalry considered the order premature and gathering a large body of austrian infantry charged with them and his own cavalry so furiously upon the holson that the latter was forced to retreat the movement spread the attack slackened and the other division moved down the hill they had all but one frederick in vain tried to rally and lead them afresh to the attack they had done all that men could do and the battle ceased dawn scarcely attempted to pursue and the prussians marched away unmolested even by cavalry some of the regiments remaining firm in their position until nightfall repulsing with great loss the one attempt of the austrians at pursuit and zeithen's cavalry did not draw off till ten at night the austrians had sixty thousand men in the field of whom they lost in killed and wounded eighty one hundred and fourteen the prussians who began the day with thirty-five thousand strong lost thirteen thousand seven hundred and seventy-three of whom the prisoners including all the wounded amounted to fifty-three eighty the news of the disaster and with it frederick's order to prepare to raise the siege of prague at once came like a thunderclap upon the russian camp frederick himself and the remnant of his army arrived there in good order with all their baggage train a day later the cannon was removed from the batteries the magazines emptied and in no good order and without any attempt on the part of the austrian garrison to molest them the prussian army marched away and took their postings at Leitmeritz. the news that an austrian army had at last beaten frederick and that prague was saved caused an exultation and joy among the allies equal to the dismay that had been roused by the defeat at prague although there was nothing remarkable or worth much congratulation in the fact that an army in an almost impregnable position had repulsed the attack of another of little over half its strength End of chapter eight